Well, good morning. If you're in Kidmo, I'm going to let you head on back to Kidmo, second and fifth graders. Get out. <laughs> All right. Well, it's good to have you here today. It is a beautiful day. It's a good day to be here together. And uh, if you want to follow along today, we do have version working this week. So some of you missed out last week. That's because we had the wrong date on there. And uh, it was actually was going to post today. So we got that fixed. Um, if you have been following along on version and you find that the events are no longer there on your app, you will need to update your app. And uh, it's a whole new way of doing events. So it's a great way for you to follow along. You can send notes to each other or not, not to each other, but notes uh, to yourself. And you can keep those for later if you would like. I uh, just want to also echo a couple of things that Stacy said. We've got some events coming up next week. We really want everybody to join us at the Lookouts game, so just show up. We're going to have some fun together, and uh, we'll just enjoy, hopefully, weather like we have today. Uh, so that's 7 o'clock next week, and also, if you're interested in VBS, they are providing lunch after from Zaxby's, so if you want to stick around and volunteer, you, if you can't just stay and eat, you have to stay for the meeting too, but... Uh, they are having that after as well, so we hope you'll do that. One last thing before you all leave today, today's Scott's birthday, so be sure you uh, tell him happy birthday, give him birthday spankings and all that good stuff. So, uh, Or maybe just sing to him in the middle of the hallway. He'd love it. I know he would. So, All right, we're going to finish out a series, a uh, short one. Uh, we've been going over a few doctrinal studies. The purpose of our doctrinal studies is simply this. We believe that all people should know if they're going to follow Christ what they believe, and not only should they know what they believe, you should have an ability to communicate that to others who would question that belief. And so, so far we've looked at two other different main uh, areas of doctrine. We've looked at who is God, and we have also looked at is the Bible trustworthy? Is it something we can believe in? So we've been talking about human nature. Last week we discovered what is one of the most wonderful things about who you are, about who we all are, and it is the reality that we are created in the image of God. Uh, Literally, the imago dei, the image of Him. And so we have this beautiful opportunity to reflect the image of God in our lives. However, the problem is, is that part of the image of God is that He wanted us to have the ability to choose. And so He allowed certain things to happen in the garden when it was created. Now, as you read through all the slides that were just on the screen, what you discovered was, or what you probably already knew if you've read any of Genesis, is that in the creation account, everything was going great up until the point that the serpent entered into the picture. Once the serpent came into the picture, it would, from that point forward, change everything. Now, it does not change the fact that you are created in the image of God, yet it does demonstrate a few things to us. And and first and foremost, as we get started today, what I want us to understand through the creation story is that above all things, no matter what our personal beliefs are or the way that we want to live our lives, or if we disagree with others, or if you disagree with me, whenever I'm talking about Scripture, we have to agree on this one thing, and that is the story of creation is a story about God's glory, not ours, and His authority through all things. The story of creation shows us that God is the one who instigated all of this. He created the heavens and the earth. He created us. 
And as we talked about last week, we were created different from everything else he created. He spoke everything else into existence, and yet for us, he formed us, fashioned us, and breathed life into us, which made us unique. But the glory belongs to God. The glory is his to fill the world, to fill the earth. That is God's position, and God has ultimate authority. God is the creator, not us. Now, what we're going to discover is that if we're going to understand human nature, what you and I have a tendency to do is we try to understand who God is by understanding ourselves. And that's kind of a backwards way to approach it. Instead, if we really want to understand who we are, we first have to start with who God is. To understand human nature, to understand the gospel, and honestly, to understand the root of all suffering, we have to go back to this point in Genesis, this uncomfortable place in Genesis chapter 3, where we find the origin of sin. We have to go back and understand this is God's world, this is God's creation. We are God's creation, and yet something has come in, and something has tarnished that which he created. Now, as you kind of listen and Follow along as you, your mind wanders. I know sometimes when someone's teaching, I'm, sometimes my mind will kind of grab onto something and wander a little bit while you're doing that. What we need to continue to keep our focus on is at the end of the day, all this is about God, not us. Yet, by the end of this, we'll have discovered that the very nature in which you operate every single thing in your life is going to want to make you shift the focus from him to yourself. It is a fatal flaw that was introduced in chapter 3. And so as we read through and as we study and as our minds wander, we recognize that all this is about a good loving God, a good creator. I want to pick up in Genesis chapter 3, not with what you just saw on the screen, but I want to pick up with the next verse, which is chapter 3, verse 7. So if you'll turn there, we've seen kind of what has happened or transpired up to this point. Let's read the rest of this part of the story, the result, and when our nature changed from walking with God and everything was wonderful and great to the time that suffering and misery entered into the world. Chapter 3, verse 7 says, And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid himself from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. The Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing and pain. You shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. 
In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So that's the story that we enter into here. You know, as the beginning of Genesis, if you're someone who decides, I'm going to read the Bible for the first time, and I'm going to read it all the way through from the very beginning to the very ending, you're, you're feeling pretty good through Genesis 1 and, and even Genesis Two, you're feeling pretty good. But when Genesis 3 comes into the picture, it kind of changes everything. It's, it's a chapter that we would assume that if we could remove something, that would be one that we would remove. Now imagine up to this point, all people, Adam and Eve, who were all people at this point, were created in God's image, walking with God with no hardship whatsoever. They had everything they needed to eat. They had an incredible relationship with all of the rest of creation. God would come and walk with them and talk with them just as you or I would walk and talk with someone. He was there with them. There was no hardship or sadness. There was no suffering or misery. There was no unhappiness or unfulfillment. None of that existed. They were completely satisfied in the place in which God had made them and placed them. And yet chapter 3 introduces the antagonist that changes human nature from that day forward. The introduction of sin to humanity through Adam and Eve is an introduction of suffering, brokenness, and misery to all people. And as we read this story, and I'll I'll talk about this in just a minute. As we read this story, sometimes what we're tempted to do is to say, well, this was what Adam and Eve did, but that's not what I've done. But what we're going to discover is that through Adam and Eve, and because God is the one who has authority over all things, the results of their actions affected all of us. And what was this wonderful time in the garden, humanity would all be changed in this moment as a result of their lives and their choices. You know, as we look through our world, it's not hard to see difficulty, is it? We all experience it. We all feel it on some level. Some of us hate our jobs or we're frustrated with the place in life that we're in. Some of us are in conflict with people that we care about greatly, and that conflict is very difficult to deal with. Some of us are dealing with sadness because we've lost somebody that we care about or the fear that we're going to lose somebody that we care about. It's not hard to see the suffering that's going on around the world. And as our world gets so much smaller, it's not hard to see what's happening in the lives of people. We see people that are living in just incredible ways. They just have wealth and power and all kinds of opportunities in their life. And yet they are just as unhappy and struggling as those who have nothing. You can watch images of children around the world that don't have enough to eat and it breaks your heart and it asks you or causes you to ask the question, what can we do to help? And we look at the magnitude of the problem and it's just overwhelming. It's not hard to see the result of a broken human nature on the world around us. For a lot of us, we've become so helpless in the suffering around us that we often just give up 
Why even try? I mean, it's just, it's just there. We have become so negative on the world around us. And it begins to come out in the way that we talk to people, the way that we address people. It even comes out sometimes in our churches and sometimes in sermons. That we can become negative because we see suffering and we can become so overwhelmed with how terribly broken the world has become. All this from a moment. From a decision. Now, here's what we want to do as we go through this. There's a few things that I want to talk to you about. And, uh, but I want us not only to talk about human nature. In order for us to understand this, we're going to spend some time talking about sin. Now, yesterday, <clears throat> Jake had an opportunity to go fishing with his uncle. And I, so I went up um, to go pick him up last night and decided to go have dinner with my mom and dad while I was in Knoxville. And my dad will ask me on any given Saturday that we're in the same room, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And my response has always been and always will be sin. Because that's what preachers preach on, right? Sin. And so we laugh and we chuckle. And then he asks, well, what are you really preaching on? And so we talk about it. Well, today, I really am talking about sin. That's going to be our whole time together. You came on a beautiful day expecting some wonderful things. And I'm going to deliver to you the next half hour on sin. Aren't you excited you're here? Yeah, where's the door? Lights are up now, so uh, you can't, everybody can see you leave. As we go through this, there are certain questions that come up, but we have to understand what sin is and where it came from and how it changes us if we're going to truly be able to address it in our lives. If we're going to be able to address what it does in our world and how it affects other people, we have to have some basic understanding of this event beyond the fact that it happened. We need to understand what happened and why it happened. Now, as we look at this, one of the mistakes that we often make in the church, we often make in theology, is believing that Adam and Eve introduced sin into the world. In fact, Adam and Eve did not introduce sin into the world. It was already there. Adam and Eve didn't dream this up. They didn't come up with this idea. Instead, the text tells us that there is a serpent who is tempting them. The serpent is telling them, you need to eat of this fruit. Now, interestingly enough, what we like to do, because what sin ultimately causes us to begin to believe is that we have ultimate authority, not God, and that we, our glory, is worthy to fill the earth, not God's. And it is our choices that really matter, not God's. And it's our decisions and what we believe are important. That's what is of greatest priority, not God's. That's what we believe. And the serpent knew that that was a weakness we would have if given the choice. Now, it doesn't tell us anything much about the serpent here, but we do find out later that this person, this serpent, is actually the enemy. We read about it in Revelation twelve nine. The New Living Translation, it says, This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one, who, the one deceiving the whole world, has thrown down to the earth with all his angels. If you read that section of Scripture in Revelation we've talked about before, that was the war that occurred before all of the rest of this happened. And when Satan decided he wanted the very thing that he was tempting Eve with, and that is, I want to be like God. And so there was a war between Satan or Lucifer and his followers and God and his followers and Lucifer lost and he was cast down. And some point between that event and the time that 
Eve ate from the fruit and then passed it to Adam. The serpent slithered into the garden with the permission of God in order to tempt to eat from a tree. They didn't introduce sin. The serpent introduced sin. But God gave the serpent the freedom to do that. Now, it's easy for us to, at this point, begin to judge God and say, God, why did you allow that to happen? Everything was perfect. Everything was great. Imagine whatever your most idyllic setting is for your life, for your family, for work, for everything, and someone comes in and messes it all up. It's easy to blame God. It's easy to judge God. It's easy to say God should not have done that. I, that is what often we respond Yet, as we discussed last week, being created in the image of God means God also wanted us to have what he had, and that was a choice. And so he put the tree in the garden, which he didn't have to, but he did. And he allowed the serpent to enter the story, which he didn't have to, but he did, to give you and I the option to reflect his image through choice, ultimately to choose him or to reject him. That's the story. Now, if we go back through and we read some of the story, we'll actually find, interestingly enough, that whenever the serpent asked Eve, what is it that God has told you? She is able to recite word for word what God has instructed them and what they were or were not allowed to do. God did not just throw them in and leave them to their own peril to discover this stuff. God warned them and said, do not do this. Because I who have created you, I who my glory fills the earth, I who have authority over all things tell you, this is what you should not do. But yet he gave them the choice to choose it anyways. So he didn't just throw Adam and Eve in the garden and they didn't just happen to stumble across this. They knew exactly what they should and shouldn't do. And they chose the temptation to be like God over following the instructions of God. And from that moment on, you and I have struggled with this. And all the, those that come after us will struggle with this. Because from this moment on, sin, sin controls every person. Every person who's ever lived, every person who ever will live. Every person that's in this room. Sin controls the person who is doing great things around the world to help others, as well as the person who is doing everything in their power to take from others. Sin controls the person who's trying to bring healing as much as sin controls the person who causes the person to need healing. It's just a universal condition. It's why this is our human nature. We all struggle with this. If we read through different places in the New Testament, it talks more about this. In Romans 3, 22 and 23, it says, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 9 and 10 says, Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. 
By our very nature, we were subjected to God's anger, just like everyone else. Now, what I know about human nature as well is that we are very good at pinpointing the sins of other people, aren't we? I can point out what you're doing wrong. I'm a little more blind to my own faults. It's a universal part of our nature. That's one of the reasons that we hear the instruction from Jesus to deal with your own stuff before you're trying to deal with somebody else's stuff for them because you've got enough stuff of your own to deal with. Human nature from this moment changes. And all the conflicts that you experience right now are a result of the change in human nature from this moment on. The people that you care about and love that won't have anything to do with you, that's a result of sin. Whenever we look at hardship and disease, when we look at the terrible things happening to the human body around the world, the way it is ravaged by different things, that is a result of sin being introduced into the creation because not only does it affect human nature, it affects all of creation. So sin is a big deal. Now the problem for many of us is that we grew up in a system in which sin was talked about in the church as something that you could overcome if you just did enough of the good things. And you would get a list, and at the top of the list had to do with things for the church, usually attend, give, read your Bible, things like that. But yet that ignores the deep-seated nature of sin and what it does to us. As if you and I can, by just an act of our own will, overcome this introduction of sin and misery into the world. Like, we can make it go away. And the reason that we believe that is because we are still under the belief that we are the controllers of our destiny and our world. Sin has so corrupted our ability to see what truly God has done and who God is that we actually believe we have the ability to supersede God's judgment and we can, for ourselves, act good enough to avoid it. It's all the same place. It's all the same root. The need for us to be in control and the need for us to ultimately be God. The result of accepting temptation, not only for Eve and then for Adam and then for the rest of us, put them and puts us in total rebellion to God. Now the reason that understanding sin and, and the role of rebellion to God is because we often look at sin as this, well, you know, I don't have any other choice. I really shouldn't do this and I really can't do any better. And so I really shouldn't be judged because I'm doing the best I can. Because today, especially in our society and culture, we want to be rewarded for doing the best we can somehow that we have overcome the limitations that we have. And because we have tried that we are okay Yet there is no place in life that that works. If you're not producing at your job in the way you were hired to produce, it doesn't matter that you tried. Now, maybe you have a generous boss who is going to overlook that. But most of the time, you're going to end up without a job. And if you go and say, well, I tried, but you didn't do what you were hired to do, you're going to be fired. Now, if you go into a marriage and you argue all the time and you're always mean and you're always trying to control and you're always trying to determine this is the way things are going to go, 
eventually your spouse is going to decide you are not the one I want to be with for the rest of my life. And a defense of, well, I tried my best does not change the daily reality of living with you. See, the temptation to say, well, I, I, I'm doing the best I can. I can't be held accountable for not being able to do better does not work in any place in life. It does not work in our relation to God. But because we want to believe that we are God, that we do ourselves we do control our destinies, that we do have the same authority that God does. Even when we tell ourselves that's not true, we act as if it is because we believe we are equal to Him. That is rebellion to God. And when you look at pain and hardship throughout the world, understand that pain and hardship is not because God is not loving. That pain and hardship is there Because we are in rebellion to what he created us for. Now, unfortunately, even if you have been a Christian all your life, you still struggle with these realities. Our nature is still there. That's why repentance and that's why humility is so crucial in the life of a follower of Jesus because it is the point that we recognize I am not God. I am not the ultimate authority. My glory will not fill the earth that we are able to call out to him and he can save us. At that point, we are no longer in rebellion to him, yet our nature still struggles with these same temptations. We still struggle with them. Let's look at this story just a little bit uh, deeper. Genesis chapter 3, we're going to go back to verse 1, uh, what we looked at a little bit earlier today. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, here's where we find that Eve knew exactly what was happening. She knew that this was the wrong choice to make. God didn't just spring this on them unaware. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, nor shall shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be what? That is what sin is in the world. The ultimate temptation behind every other sin that exists. That we will be like God. And what does it mean to be like God? It means that we don't have to follow what he says. We don't have to believe what he says is true or right. We can decide that for ourselves. We don't have to worship him. We can live lives that cause others to worship us. We don't have to look at what he says is good and right. We can decide for ourselves what is good and right. Right, and unfortunately, our idea of what is good and right is almost always, if not always, about what is good and right for me, regardless of its effect on anyone else. It's because we want to be like God, we want His position, we want to be what He has, and yet you and I cannot do that. You will not surely die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, if you're a student of the Old Testament, you'll discover that the knowledge of good and evil is mentioned more than once. And in every time that it's mentioned, it's mentioned not that all of a sudden you have an awareness of what God says is good and what God says is evil. Instead, you have the ability to choose for yourself what is good versus what is evil. You see, if the true change in nature here was is that we all of a sudden we could understand what God says is good and what God says is evil, if that was what it meant, then that does not mean that we would choose evil over good. So what was given to them was not God's idea of what is good and evil. What was given to Adam and Eve and then would infect all of humanity was that you can choose for yourself what you believe is good or evil. And that is why what you see in the world today are people that do not believe in absolute truth. They believe in relative truth to what's good for you. That's why when you see all of the behaviors that are happening in our world that are so destructive in people and relationships, people will say, well, as long as you're not hurting anyone else and it's good for you, then it's fine. That is the original temptation. Now, let me ask you this, parents. How many of your children would like to exercise their own right to determine what is good and evil in their eyes over your determination? Yeah? Does it work that way in your house? Do they get to come up and say, you know, Dad, I know you said I shouldn't have done that and it was wrong, but I've determined that it was good and I should have. How would you respond? Ask them. Ask them. <laughs> Similarly, we all have parents. Right? Are you telling me that you never as a child ever went to the, or came to the point where you disagreed with your parents' assessment and you tried to assert your will over theirs? Whenever I did that, it never went well. I did try it a few times and I have a few scars as a result. See, that's the temptation. The temptation is, is that you get to choose what's good and evil, and it's not something new. It's something that has, it has happened. This is the original temptation for Adam and Eve, and it would pass on to all of the rest of us. And interestingly enough, what is the first thing that happens when God becomes the, begins to come into the picture? Here their creator, the person that loves them greatly, who has given them incredible paradise in which to live, walks into the picture, and they immediately do what? Run. They run. They cannot be in his presence because they know what they've done. And they look down and they recognize now I, I, something we've lost our purity. We're, we're naked. We need clothing. And they try to put together clothing. And the truth is, is that we have been putting together clothing like this ever since, trying to cover what we know to be sin so that we look presentable before God. We've been doing that ever since. I don't think it's any mystery 
that the church has struggled in the past with what it looks like to dress correctly for church, right? Some of us, we come from that background. You need to wear a certain thing. I, I remember I, I uh, stopped wearing a tie. I was pastoring a church. I stopped wearing a tie, and a uh, family came up to me and said, if I didn't start wearing a tie again to church, they were going to leave the church. I was young and, you know, a little belligerent. I said, well, go on. I'll let the door hit you with a good Lord split you. You know, that's, I didn't really say that, but it was akin to that. It was very close. But it's really, it's no shock that we still try to cover ourselves to make us presentable for, before God when the only thing that can do that is Jesus. We are still fashioning our own clothes. We're still trying to dress ourselves up. Some of you, maybe you don't have the budgets to go out and buy the nicest clothes out there to dress yourself up. And instead, you're trying to dress yourself up with a facade that you put on by pretending that you have no problems in life. Because you're trying to make yourself presentable knowing that you're not. And so we fashion for ourselves these identities and we stick to those identities and we don't approach people and who we truly are inside. We present ourselves in a way and... Oftentimes what ends up happening when you've chosen that's the way you will engage the world is you change yourself based on who you're with. And then you can't remember who you are when you get around several people at the same time. You've got to remember, who am I to this person? Who am I to this person? What is my language like around this person? What do I talk about when I'm around those people? And then what happens when they get in the same room together and you're just, you're stuck. Because you realize in that moment, I have tried to cover who I really am and it's not working. That is what sin does. And that is our desire to choose what is good and evil. In the Old Testament, it means we have this ability that we no longer need to be dependent upon God. We could choose for ourselves and we can determine our own choices. But ultimately, we would pay the penalty for these choices. In Genesis chapter 3, well, uh, some other notes I've put down. I don't always cover all my notes, but our newfound authority that Adam and Eve believe they have and you and I still believe we have is worthless because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if I determine that I have authority. At the end of the day, what matters is who really does have authority. It doesn't matter. I tell myself I do, but God does, and that's it. Bottom line. So we go on in the story, verse 8. He heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. And as they ran and as they scattered, their relationship with God was forever altered. They ran from him. Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Knowing what had happened. Knowing it was going to happen. Yet making Adam admit his sin. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave me to be with, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Boy, I wonder what kind of dinner conversation Adam and Eve had after this. 
Have you ever thought about that? Because ultimately, sin has a physical effect on creation, but what it has the greatest effect on is relationships. So Adam's breaking his relationship with God. He's messing up his relationship with Eve, and maybe he already believes that Eve has messed up her relationship with him for even getting him in this position, which he willingly put himself. We see relationships being broken. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. When we understand sin and what it does to our nature, we recognize that sin separates us from God and it corrupts our relationship with others. That's what sin does. That's within each one of us. We're born with this. It corrupts all of those relationships. This rebellion that we have, it's going to change everything for everyone. And it's interesting, this is the reason... That God, that Jesus, talks about sin as sickness, as a change of reality from health, of disease, of something that corrupted what was good and wonderful and lovely. Because that is what has happened to us. You know, when we try so hard to ignore or believe that we have no sin in our lives, we are bowing down to the sickness that has corrupted us. When we refuse to follow the instructions of Jesus, when we refuse to follow the instructions of God, what we are doing is we are bowing down to the sickness that is overcoming, overtaking us. Because we are saying, God, what you are saying is not worthy for me to act upon. I will choose my destiny. In Mark chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The introduction of sin to humanity, it introduced a sickness that only a Savior could heal. Now, this is where we begin to shift from understanding the nature of people to understanding the nature of God. We begin to understand that God gave us this choice to choose him or to not choose him. God also chose, could choose to leave us in our sin. He could have wiped up off the face of the earth all of humanity and started over. He did not have to keep Noah and his family. But God chose to redeem and to heal instead of let us be doomed for the fulfillment of our own choices and our own sins. We read about this kind of overarching all of humanity affected by Adam in Romans chapter 5. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone. For everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the line of Adam To the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who has yet who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. In other words, all this sin came through one person and infected all of humanity. 
For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. He has come to give us healing. In Romans chapter 5, we read about it a little differently. It says, for while we were still weak, while we were still in our sin, while we were still in rebellion to God, while our human nature overwhelmed our ability to see God, to be with God, to know God, and be restored to the image of God. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows us his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now receive reconciliation and as we shift from the nature of man to the nature of god we discover a gracious loving merciful god choosing to rescue us out of our rebellion and rescue us out of this disease and rescue us out of the need to determine good and evil apart from him that's what he rescued us from now this should change the way that we live in this world. If you know this to be true, if this knowledge is something that you have accepted to be fact, then it should change the way that you live in the world around you. I'm not saying you will ever live without sin, but it should change something about how you live. For example, whenever we look at others and we see all of their faults, Rather than worshiping those faults and holding them up and saying, look how bad they are, we recognize we are the same. When we begin to talk about issues in our government, issues in legislation, issues in culture that God clearly says is sin, and we with joy and jubilance talk about their judgment and destruction, we ignore the fact that we are the same. When we're tempted to spend all our time picking apart other people, uh, they didn't hold up to what they said. They don't hold up to what we talked about in church. Oh, that pastor, he doesn't do, you know, he doesn't do like he should be doing. Then we ignore the fact that we're all the same. Whenever we work really hard to follow the teachings of Jesus and we feel really good about ourselves because I'm doing it right now. We ignore that we're all the same. We're all the same. We're equal before God. Now, the, prodigal, the story of the prodigal son is something that we talk about in lots of different ways. And when you begin to understand this, you begin to understand that the story of the prodigal son is not so much about parenting. The story of the prodigal son is about humanity. 
The story of the prodigal son is the story of Adam and Eve that would infect all of humanity, and it would be our opportunity to be restored to him one day if we would call on him. If you remember the story of the prodigal son, he decides he is under the authority of his father. He has given everything that he needs. In fact, they are very well to do. And he decides, I no longer want to be at the whims of my father. I myself should be able to choose what is right and wrong for me. Give me what is mine. I am going to go and decide for myself how I will live. When he goes and he decides for himself to live and what is good for him, what is good and evil in his own eyes, He squanders all that he has until he has nothing, and he begins to slop the pigs, remember? Until things get so bad, and he recognizes in a a time of just being low and recognizing his own sin against his father, he says, I can go back. Maybe I can go back and just be in his presence again. Maybe I can just go back and be one of his servants again. Maybe I can just go find some favor with him, and as he slowly, defeatedly, in humility and repentance, walks back to his father. His father does not shun him or put him in his place or tell him he needs to be thinking about his sin for the rest of his life. Instead, what does his father do? But he welcomes him back, restores him to the family, gives him the best clothes and fixes him the best feast because he has chosen to restore him to his family. That is not the story of parenting. It's not just the story of a wayward child. It is the story of humanity. It is the story of human nature. And it is at the end of the day, despite the story of Adam and Eve, it is the story God wants to be told about his relationship with his creation. That of the image of God being restored. Ephesians chapter 2 says, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ Jesus. You see, the story of human nature is a tragic story of Paradise lost, of goodness lost, of peace, prosperity lost. It's the story of the introduction of suffering, of misery, of brokenness. It's a story that our world still has yet to grasp and the serpent is still sliding through culture and society, sliding through families, sliding through people's lives, trying to convince them your way is as good or better than God's way. And because of that, we still have conflict, we still have wars, we still have heartache, we still have sickness. We still have all those things because the serpent is still telling the same message. And it's up to us to choose to reveal a different message of God's redemption, God's restoration. That it doesn't matter how low you've sunk, God will restore you. It doesn't matter how far you've gone, you're no different than anybody else. God loves you and his mercy will be poured out on you. And it's a time that we recognize that while our nature was corrupted, it can be cleansed. First in this world, not that we will no longer sin, but that we will not be judged for that sin. We will be united with Christ but in heaven, another cleansing where all sin will be done away with. 
That day hasn't come. Now, it would be great. And some of us inwardly believe that when you become a Christian, that time is supposed to be now. That time is not supposed to be now. That time is supposed to be when Jesus returns, we all go to heaven or when we die and go to heaven. However, it works out in timing. That is what's supposed to happen, not just, now I'm a Christian, I'll never act wrong. How many young Christians have we judged their behavior or their language and we've turned them away from God's grace because they didn't act cleaned up? That cleaning doesn't come until we're with Christ in heaven. But now, where you are now in this world, knowing these things to be true, you have an opportunity to change the way you act and the way you live. You have an opportunity to contradict the serpent story, and you have the opportunity to write a different story on the hearts of people, that God's redemption and his love is there for them. Human nature, the study of human nature helps us to understand why we argue with each other, why we get mad at each other. It under, helps us to understand why there's war in the world. It helps us to understand why there's sickness and disease. It helps us understand why there's so much inequality between those who live with the most and those who live with nothing. It's, it's, it helps us to understand those things. But it doesn't change our nature. Only Jesus does. And when he doesn't, he doesn't change us to something unexpected. He changes us to what we were originally created to be before the fall. We had the opportunity to choose. We get to choose him or choose to reject him. I'm going to leave you with one thing. I think it's very, it's very basic that all people need Jesus all the time. All people need Jesus. All the time. You need Jesus all the time. I need Jesus all the time. That person that you are rejecting needs Jesus all the time. The person that's rejecting you needs Jesus all the time. All people need Jesus all the time. Let me just give you a quick snapshot before we close. We've got our closing song here in just a second. Next week we're starting a new series. Can you all figure out, can you put up that next slide, the last slide in the, can you figure it out? What is it? See, you're so good. That's so good. I'm glad because I'm just so glad you all got that. The elephant in the room. So now that we have this basic understanding that sin affects all of us and we are all in the same playing field, next week what we're going to start is a little bit longer of a series talking about the elephant in the room. See, there are things happening in our world around us that we often choose not to discuss, and we need to. There are things that affect many that we need to discuss, and we're going to. So we've got several topics over the next few weeks that we're going to cover, a range of topics, and the way that we're going to do this is we're going to approach it strictly from what God says and also from a mode of grace. And how does God intend for us to be restored to his image? Now, some of these topics that you may get excited about, you may get passionate about, and a couple of you might possibly disagree about. And if that happens, that's okay. You'll probably have an opportunity in some of the weeks to actually dialogue with whoever. We'll have different people on stage. You'll have an opportunity to dialogue with them, to ask questions or respond one week, we're going to be having Chad Seagraves from 1040 Connections come, and he's going to be spending that Sunday talking about Islam in the world. He knows a lot about it. 
He's going to share from his experience, and he's going to also share ways that we can respond to that. You will have a chance to respond to Chad when he comes. And if you haven't, you, how many of you have heard Chad speak before? One of the most gracious people you will ever meet. Just a wonderful guy. So he's going to be here sharing with us on one of those topics. We're going to be talking about purity issues. We're going to be talking about other issues that are in our news right now. So I hope that you'll be here. That starts next week. And I hope you will come understanding that we all enter on the same level together. None of us is better than another. God has restored us through Jesus Christ alone. And we worship him because of his great love for us. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for your love. I thank you that you gave us the opportunity to choose you. And when we didn't, you chose to restore us and to save us through Christ. I pray for those in this room that have been carrying around burdens, been carrying around secrets, feeling that they are the lowest of the low, the worst of the worst, that they will recognize that that is a result of the same sin that affects every person who has ever walked this earth save Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would begin to allow us to see ourselves not in the way that we view good and evil, but we will view the world the way you do. Help us to not only see it through your eyes, help us to follow through with your teachings. Let us recognize that we need Jesus all the time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.